So I was reading a story this week, and there was a guy um, who was hitchhiking, and he was on the side of the road. And he was hitchhiking for ages and looking for someone to pick him up. And no one was coming, no one was coming, no one was coming, because it's this day and age, right? And then someone picked him up, and he was like, oh, I am so glad that you picked me up. Thank you so much for taking the risk of actually picking up a hitchhiker. Like, what made you do it? How were you okay with doing it? And the guy who was driving the car said, well, I figure the chances of there being two serial killers in one car would be quite slim. <laughs> there are some clubs that we want to belong to, and there are some clubs that we'd rather not, right? The serial killer club is probably not a great club to belong to. <laughs> but all of us are searching for somewhere to belong to. And I noticed that it's your theme for this year is finding somewhere to belong to. And I'm sure you've heard so many sermons on belonging, haven't you? Yeah. Has the word become stale yet? I'm sure you're still completely enthused and like, because we haven't got to the bottom of it yet. Because if we had, there would be no loneliness in the world. So I just, I want to take you some places this morning, um, kind of around this belonging thing, possibly from a different point of view that you, you may not have um, heard in the context of belonging before. And I kind of want to use it to break down a few things and try and, I guess a lot of the time when I teach, I, it's, we're around in a car shed and we're cracking open the bonnet and we're going, right, how does this thing work? And I kind of want to do that this morning and talk about some of the ways that things work and some of the ways the enemy tries to con us um, so that, because once we are aware of his devices, we can hammer him just like the All Blacks. I bet they study the tactics of France. Did you notice the commentator was saying, actually, they kept on using a particular side of the field because one of the French guys, he only cooked, kicked with one foot or something, and it, would, it was disadvantaging. I don't, you know better than I do. Um, but it was disadvantaging the French side by them choosing to play on the part of the field that they're playing in, and we can do that. If we know how the enemy's working, we can act and play the game in a way that hamstrings him. Um, so I just want to kind of go through that a bit this morning. So we're going to take a bit of a tread back. And I'm going to start in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. So you'll be very familiar with this passage. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Oh, actually, we'll stop a bit further back. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You with me? For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 
in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So it's a passage we're all familiar with, maybe not one um, that we read that often because the language is a bit bitty, it's quite, just, there's not much flow to it, but um, we can kind of get what Paul's saying to the Ephesian church, yeah? So the context of where Paul was coming from that he was very um, au fait with because he used to be a Pharisee, he used to keep all the laws, he used to be completely contained in the Jewish structure of how religion is done. Um, so Paul was coming to the Gentiles from that background. He knew it very, very well. So when Paul is, um, is talking to the church here, he's referring back to all of that stuff in the Old Testament that we're really glad we don't have to do anymore. All that stuff, I, whenever I read it, I'm just like, Jesus, this is taking a long time to read, and I'm just glad that I don't have to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that this no longer applies to me. Thank you that you completely fulfilled this, and that you turned it into, from a list of reg- rules and regulations into love and into a state of heart instead. Um, so what we see is we see this, this temple system, and in the, olden, in the Old Testament times, the temple, obviously it started out as a tabernacle in the wilderness, then they moved into the promised land, into Jerusalem, There was a temple that was destroyed. They rebuilt the temple. Um, And the temple that we see in Jesus' time when he was walking around was um, Solomon's temple, and it was obviously made of stone. Yep, you remember the whole story of them doing all that. Incredible. So how the temple worked was there was the Holy of Holies, and then more courts, and then more courts, and then more courts, and then more courts, and then one huge court. So as a high priest, you could go into the Holy of Holies. As a Levite, one of the tribe of the Levites, the priests, you could go into this kind of area where you make sacrifices. As a general um, Hebrew guy, Israelite, you could go into a slightly bigger court. As a woman, you were allowed into an outside court from that. As a Gentile, you weren't allowed into any of that. It was only the outer court that you were allowed into. And there were actually death threats written (laughs) on the entrance to the main temple, saying, Gentiles, you dare put a foot across this threshold and you will die. So here's Israel, and they've kind of come into this place, and they're driving out all the lands, and there are loads of foreigners amongst them. Some of them were slaves who came with them, um, like people who came with them out of Egypt. Some of them were people that they accumulated while they were in the wilderness. Some people um, were people who joined themselves to them when they started coming to the Promised Land. They had all these aliens, foreigners, who were with them, um, who kind of became a part of their community, but they were never part enough of their community that they were able to go right the way in. They were always kept on the outside. Um, there was always this, this set of rules and regulations. And whilst if you were Jewish, you could keep the rules and regulations, and that made you okay with God, apparently. If you were Gentile, you could keep all the rules and regulations, and it didn't help one bit. Complete outsiders. So the only way for a, for a Gentile to become uh, admitted into that community was to go through circumcision, like to actually be converted into, um, into that faith, into the Judaic faith. So, and for, guy, for ladies, I'm sure that was far easier. For guys, it was an unpleasant experience. <laughs> and still is today, I'm sure. So, there was, so what, who, when Paul was speaking to the Gentiles, he was speaking to these people who had been told very clearly that they did not belong. This God had created a way to belong through the law. Well, that's how the Israelites saw it. And you would only belong if you were circumcised, if you were born into the right family, if you kept the right rules, if you did the right things, if you hadn't touched a dead body that week and there wasn't a woman on a period near you. 
Like, if that, if that was all fine, then you'd be able to go in. You know, when, when it came to the Passover, everyone would arrive a week before the Passover to make sure that for one week of their lives, they could stay clean enough to offer the, pack, the Passover sacrifice. They all came into Jerusalem a week early just to make sure that they weren't going to touch any dead bodies, just to make sure that they were being extra careful because if there was any uncleanness in them at all, they wouldn't be able to go into the temple and sacrifice the lamb for Passover and they'd miss out on this whole massive celebration that was so important. So purity and all that kind of stuff was really, really important. The problem is that the law was only ever meant to be, you know, like, you know when the sun starts to get really low in winter, you suddenly realize how dirty your windows are? Have you know, they've been dirty all year, but somehow you just didn't see it. And now the sun's getting low, and you just go, oh my goodness, how do they get that dirty? So the law is like the sunshine. It, it shows us that things aren't perfect, but it has no power to make things clean. So God set up the law in order to show people, hey guys, your, your windows are a bit dirty here, you need some help. But the law itself wasn't able to make people clean. Only Jesus' blood could do that. The sun shows us our windows are dirty, but it can't clean them. Oh, I wish it could. Wouldn't that be amazing? Sun-cleaned windows. Yes, please. Someone invent that. So we've got this system of the law, and the problem with law is that it just is all to do with judgment, and it's all to do with condemnation, and it's all to do with, did you do things right today? Did you do things right this minute? And the, the tolerance of the law for imperfection is zero. There's no tolerance there at all. So this is, this is what we were saved from. We were saved from this mindset that says you have to be perfect all of the time. You have to always measure up. You're being watched at every minute, um, at any moment. You could fall into sin and, and you're gone. And you have to offer another sacrifice and you have to come and do another thing to try and make yourself good again. And it's exhausting. So Jesus died to bring us from this, this courtroom over here of of judgment and of condemnation, and if you sin, it must be paid for, to bring us into a different courtroom over here of mercy and of grace, where the veil is torn, where it's no longer just the high priest that goes into the Holy of Holies, and it's no longer just the Israelite people that get to go into the temple, but we are the temple. So Isaiah 56 says, my, house sh my, my temple should be a house of prayer for all nations. How good was the temple at being a house of prayer for all nations when they wouldn't let all nations in? But today we're a house of prayer for all nations because we are the house of prayer. And we'll accept everybody. You know, it's, we're not, no longer in this, this courtroom of, of judgment where we're constantly judging people. We're constantly criticizing people. We're constantly seeing if people measure up. And we're constantly seeing if we measure up. That's this courtroom that Jesus died to get us out of. And now we're over here in this courtroom where there's mercy and there's grace. And it's not about the rules you keep. It's about the heart you have. So the, the Pharisees' response to the law was to take something like, I can't remember the numbers, 217 laws or something, and make 613 laws out of them. They were like, okay, we're really going to keep this law well, so make some, let's make loads more laws so that we can keep the law. And then they enforce those on all the people. Guys, you don't just tithe. Yeah, we know God said tithe, but no, you have to tithe your cumin, and you have to tithe your spices, and you have to tithe... Like, seriously, no. What God was saying is that he wants your best. It's a heart thing. You know, the, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Like, the Sabbath was a law. Keep the Sabbath, keep the rest day, make it holy, because God knew we needed a rest. And the Pharisees start listing all these things that are and are not work, to the extent that if you're in Israel today on a Sabbath day, the lifts go up and down themselves, so you don't have to press the button on a Sabbath. Isn't it crazy? 
So Jesus died to rescue us from this and get us into the place where Jesus can wander through the cornfields and his his disciples can rub some grain because it's life-giving to them. Rubbing grain counted as harvest to the Pharisees. You're not allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. Apparently, Jesus' work was healing people, so you shouldn't heal people on the Sabbath. Do you remember the discussions of the Pharisees with Jesus over this? So law is, is such a bummer. Because it tells us all the time what we shouldn't be doing. It picks holes in everything. It makes, us, um, it makes us feel like we're not good enough the whole time. And what Jesus did is brought us into this place where it's all about the heart we have. And if your heart is for Jesus and you're living in a way to protect his heart, you're good. If you, you've accepted Jesus, then you belong. If you've accepted Jesus, then you're already in this place. I had someone come up to me this week and just go, I'm so scared um, I'm so scared because I read that passage in John 15 about abiding in the vine, and if you don't abide in the vine, then you get chucked off, chopped off and burnt, and I'm afraid I'm going to be chopped off and burnt. And I was like, hang on a second, what kind of God do you serve? You've already given him your heart. You've already committed to serving him. He's no longer pointing a finger at you and going, I wonder when she's going to trip up. Oh, two seconds to do Ah, there, got her. That's not the kind of dad he is. How many of us parents do that with our kids? Like, I'm not a parent, by the way. That was the royal us. So, we're now in this courtroom. We're in a courtroom of grace. We're in a courtroom of love. We're in a courtroom where we're living in a way that protects God's heart. Like, there are some things that are obvious that we're not going to do from that position. Um, But we're no longer in this courtroom of, of judging. And therefore, we don't need to hide anymore. Shame belongs to this courtroom. Because when you... When you're constantly judging yourself and seeing yourself as lacking, when you're constantly finding things that you're doing wrong, when you're constantly um, looking at the people around you and judging yourself as being somehow inferior, then that puts shame on you. And shame is a number one enemy tactic for getting the church cut off from God. God hasn't gone anywhere, but we turn around and hide when we have shame on us. Do you see why the enemy is so fond of this courtroom? If he can get you to hide who you are, If he can get you to cover up, if he can get you to conform to the people around you, if he can strip you of the true identity that God gave you, then he wins. Because you're in shame, and not only will the world not get you, but you will find it really difficult to engage with God as a father as well, which is exactly what he wants. How do you get to a dad? You cut him off from his kids. So this this place of judgment and this place of criticism and this place of... There are rules and we have to keep them. And I'm not talking thou shalt not murder here. I'm talking thou shalt have a quiet time every day here. Who invented that rule? How weird would it be if you were married and you you got up in the morning and you went to your spouse, oh, goodness, we're married now, I have to talk to you. (laughs) Okay, let's just make it, like, I'll try and stretch it out to 10 minutes. We'll talk, we'll talk for 10 minutes and then we can tick that box and move on for the day. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) But this is, how we approach, this is how we approach God. We've somehow made it into a rule thing when it was always a heart thing. It's like, wow, Jesus, I get to spend time with you today. And we know that it's, it's a really good idea to read the Bible and it's a really good idea to chat to him. But, um, but if you happen to be crazy, crazy, crazy busy and you miss your quiet time for the day, then life will go on. It will be okay. God will survive. <laughs> and you will be okay. And whenever I use particularly this example of the quiet time, I can kind of feel the oxygen in the room leaving. So everyone goes, but hang on a second. Yes, I believe in relationship with God. Yes, I totally like 
I was religious enough that I had a quiet time every day for 25 years. And then, so I'd been walking with God for about 31 years, something like that. And, and then I had this revelation, and there were times when I didn't have a quiet time in a day. And then I realized that I had actually read my Bible anyway, and I had actually been chatting with God all day. And I had actually been meditating on stuff. It's just that it wasn't within my confines of what a quiet time had to look like. It was in the context of relationship. Is it important to read the Bible? Absolutely. Is it important to talk with Jesus? Oh my goodness, my life depends on it. I could not do a minute without him. But we, we make up all these little rules that we impose on ourselves and impose on others. You know, in, in um, how am I doing for time? In Roman times, they, the soldiers had breastplates. Do you remember in Ephesians 6, we're told to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Do you remember that? Yeah, so in Roman times, those breastplates were all different. So they were all made by local craftsmen, and it was each soldier's responsibility to go and get his own breastplate made. So he'd go to the nearest person, the person would measure him up, make a breastplate to fit him, and then they'd go out. So all of these um, ceremonial six-pack breastplates that you see, um, they didn't really actually exist in the everyday soldier. That was just the really high-flying guys got those, okay? Everyone else had to make their own breastplate, and they were all made of different materials. They were made in different ways. They, they were all different. So we're meant to have this breastplate of righteousness. So what's that? Well, it's God's righteousness, which means that we're living with, guarded by the righteousness that Jesus gave us, covered by his blood, knowing who we are, and walking forward, and his righteousness protects us from the lies of the enemy that try to accuse us. It means that we're walking in a place of purity and holiness, not because we have to, but because that protects Jesus' heart and it makes him happy. But it also means that if I took my breastplate off and give it to you, it's not going to fit. So there are definite things that you do and don't do in a marriage, I've heard. Like adultery, not really on the list, shouldn't really be doing that. But have you noticed that outside of the main big deals, most marriages have their own rules? And if you try and lift how one marriage works and put it on another one, it doesn't really work. So in an employer-employee relationship, the employee follows the rules and if they don't, they're out. But in a spousal relationship, things are kind of a little bit different. They're a bit complicated. Everyone's got their own rules. You can't just impose one couple's rules on another, on another couple. You are in a spousal relationship with Jesus, not an employer-employee relationship. You are no longer servants. You're friends. You, each one of you, has a different set of rules. Outside the major stuff that we know about that's black and white in Scripture, each one of you has your own set of rules. That set of rules dictates whether or not you can go and see horror movies. It, it dictates whether or not you're okay with doing yoga. It dictated in Paul's time whether or not people were okay with eating food offered to idols or not. Everyone's got their own set of rules that's slightly different, and that's my breastplate, and it doesn't fit you. So in the church, we've done a really good job of people making, making people feel like they don't belong because we try and take our breastplate and we put it on them. And we try and take our set of rules and regulations that apply to our relationship with God and we put it on them. And we expect them to do the same thing. And it doesn't fit them. It chafes. They try and run with it, and they can't. We watched that with David and King Saul when he's trying to put on King Saul's armor. It just is too heavy. It doesn't work. He has to run how God made him to run. And each one of us, we have to come to the point where we're okay with who we are. We're okay, and we're confident who God made us to be. The world needs you looking like you, not looking like the person next to you. And one of the ways we get to a place of belonging in the, in the church and in, in everyday life is to come to the point where we come to our senses and we go home. 
We come to our senses, we realize who we're not. We realize that we weren't meant to be feeding pigs in a foreign land while our father and elder brother are at home somewhere. And we go, you know what, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home to the place I belong. I'm going to go home to my dad where I'm going to be. Obviously, he didn't know that. He was still in a rule mindset. But he went home to a place where he was welcomed, where he was reminded of who he was. And so in our own journeys, this, this ability to, to have the courage to show up, to be ourselves, to be seen, to, um, to be who we are around the people around us is the first step to belonging. Because when we're able to own who we are and who God made us to be and the, the rules in the relationship between God and us, then that enables us to stand firm amidst everything else that's going on in the world around us. And the more we are ourselves, the more it gives permission to other people to be themselves. Have you ever been around someone who really knows who they are? It makes you come alive. Well, actually, it either makes you really jealous or it makes you come alive. <laughs> if you believe we're in this courtroom, it makes you really jealous because you believe that they've got something that you can't have, which isn't true. The father said to the elder brother, and God says to us, everything I have is yours. So you being yourself, I don't know, um, there's a lady called Brene Brown who's a, who's a shame researcher. She's a Christian and has written some amazing books. And this is what she says. The truth is, belonging starts with self-acceptance. Your level of belonging, in fact, can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance because believing that you're enough is what gives you the courage to be authentic, vulnerable, and imperfect. We need a group of people who are willing to be imperfect, who are okay with the journey, who are okay with the fact that we've all got different breastplates, we've all got different mini rules in our relationship with God, that, that relationship works different for each one of us. And I'm not going to impose my set on you, and you're not going to impose your set on me. I'm going to celebrate you and who God made you to be. And I'm going to celebrate me and who God made me to be. And as we walk forward together, that atmosphere of being real, being authentic, actually invites the world in to be real and be authentic too. And that is what the world is looking for. The world is looking for people who are going to be... Like the part, of, part of what the church has done... I always think that God is the most secure God ever because he let the church completely take his, like, completely ruin his reputation for 2,000 years. Like, we have presented to the, ch to the world that God is judging, that he loves law, that he's critical. Like, oh my goodness. And so we're in this time where the world really just wants to find real because no one's real anymore. Um, Sharon was telling me about the, an Alfa Romeo advert that's on the, on the TV at the moment. Has anyone seen it? where there's basically, um, there are these cars and they're all nondescript and they're all the same and they're all, everything's all the same and then in comes the bright red Alfa Romeo being itself. You know, in, I referred to this yesterday, Pol Pot was the leader of Cambodia and in the very short era, thankfully, that he was in charge, his desire was to create a classless identity uh, society where everyone looked the same. So he grabbed all the thought leaders, the intellectuals, the academics, everybody, and either killed them or sent them to labor camps, gave everyone the same clothes to wear, told everyone they had to think the same thing. Like he was trying to strip the entire country, every person of their identity, so that he could control them. Does it sound familiar to you? It's what the enemy's trying to do today. If he can strip you of your identity, if he can take away who you are, if he can make you conform and look like the people around you, then you lose that incredible aspect of God's glory that only you carry. And the world misses out on something of Jesus. You are incredibly made and the world needs to see you shine. It will only be able to do that when you're comfortable with who God made you to be and you're able to go out to the world and go, yes, here I am. The, I, Saint Arania said, the glory of God is man fully alive. 
you being fully alive and stepping out as who, as who God made you to be without all these rules and criticism, without all the need for rights and entitlement and consumerism and all that kind of stuff and just being in love with Jesus and in love with the world he created will show him so beautifully. I often get asked, how do I tell the, the gospel to this person? How do I get this person? Be Jesus through you in the world. Be yourself. Be who he made you to be. And you'll find that you'll attract the world. They're looking for real, vulnerable, authentic people. I can't remember what time I started. Am I done? Ah, great. You're called to be a house of prayer, right? You're called to be a temple of living stones built up into a temple, a place where you can welcome in the nations, a place of belonging, a place where you're not there waiting for people with rules and regulations and you musts and you shoulds. But you're, you're waiting there with love and with relationship and with authenticity. You know, the thing with shame is that being authentic, saying, oh, I've got that problem too, destroys it. One of the amazing things about the Me Too movement, you know, the, the huge movement that went through Hollywood where everyone was going, yeah, I was abused too, is it broke shame. No one wanted to speak up before because every time you say, I've been sexually abused, which is what that whole movement was about, um, it put shame on you. And suddenly people start going, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Oh, I have a problem with that too. Oh, I was affected by that too. And, and shame is broken and suddenly a voice rises that was never allowed to rise before. This is shame and it keeps you hidden. And it's not just, it's not just sin that brings shame. It's not just sexual stuff that brings shame. It's, it's, being, it's feeling different. It's feeling inferior to the people around you. It's feeling like you should, have, you should have always been in ministry and you're in the workplace and you don't think that's ministry. You don't think it's somehow good enough. Or it's feeling like you're in the workplace and you should have been in ministry or I think that's the same way around as I just said. Whatever. It's feeling like um, all of your brothers are, are doing amazing things and, and you're a bit rubbish. It's feeling like you think your parents are celebrating your sister but you don't really feel celebrated. You feel like you're less than. It's feeling like everyone around you in your workplace is doing a really good job and you just really shouldn't be there because you don't feel qualified to be apart from that you wouldn't have got the job if you weren't qualified to be. It's anything that we do that actually puts, makes us feel less than, makes us want to hide, makes us um, not bring the fullness of who we are to the table because we think we shouldn't. That's shame. So yes, it's to do with rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff, but it's to do with so much more as well. And once you manage to crack shame, usually by being vulnerable with the people around you and going, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now. When I walk into my workplace, this is how I feel. I feel like I shouldn't be there. I feel like I, you know, it's a really big thing, imposter syndrome in the world of medicine where I am. You can be amongst this group of dynamic, amazing people who seem to know everything and just go, oh my goodness, I know nothing. Should I even be here? And it's like, yeah, you should be there. You've done the same journey as everybody else. It's something that um, I have um, struggled with and a lot of my colleagues have struggled with, particularly the women. It happens all over the place. So I think it would be good for us to do a couple of things. Number one, if you haven't accepted Jesus, that's kind of step one to entering into this place of belonging and being home and having somewhere that you feel safe in and having somewhere that you feel secure in. And um, it's not about all the craziness of the world. It's about do you have a solid core because the thing that your identity is founded on is immovable, and that's Jesus. So I think the first thing, the first step on this is Hey, do you have Jesus in your life? Do you have that rock? Do you have that foundation? Do you have that thing to stand on that, that make, gives everything else definition? 
without the foundation of the house, the walls fall down. It's like without that, Jesus is that cornerstone, everything else kind of falters. So if you don't know him yet, now is a, today's a great day. <laughs> today's a great day to get that foundation sorted and start on this journey of, of belonging, of, of having somewhere that you can call home. Um, so you're welcome to jump up now. You're welcome to come and see Sharon or Jan or you know who to see or me or so, one of us afterwards and just have a chat with us. We'd love to help you with that. The second thing is, is how well have you accepted yourself? Are you comfortable you know, last year I was wandering around outside the, or two years ago, I was wandering around outside the Botanical Gardens in Brisbane. And it, it'll sound really weird to you, especially if you're black and white and not a feeler. But I could feel myself all the way through, and I just went, oh my goodness, I like who I am. I think I'm comfortable. How did it take me 30 years to get to this place? And some of us never get there. We go through our whole lives trying to be what we think society and other people want us to be, and when we never get to the point of being ourselves. So I think number two is, how good at you are accepting, at accepting you? Are you comfortable with who God made you to be? Or are you still trying to shift and change? Are you still feeling inadequate? You, have you still got shame on you somewhere? So I think we're going to pray into that a second. So if you, if you feel like you need a bit of help, if you feel like there's still a step to go until you really feel like you're you and you're celebrating you and you're able to be you in the world around you, Stand up because the people around you would really love to pray with you. We want to partner with you. We want to say, yes, you are amazing. And just free you really to, um, to be you to the world around you. A lot of people, there's shame in shame. Like as soon as you start talking about shame, people start feeling it. And I, can, I know that Shane um, Willard has just actually been ministering into this area here recently. Um, but if there's any way at all that you feel like you might be hiding, you feel like you might not be presenting your full self to the world, that you feel like you've been under some, some kind of cover or that the people around you aren't seeing who you are or you're hiding in some way, then stand up and we will pray for you. We just want to break that thing off and we want to bless you. We want to, um, yeah, we just want to bless you to see that color hit the world around you. I still find that this is a daily thing for me. You know, it's a decision every single day. And am I going to let myself be seen today? Am I going to be vulnerable? Am I going to be authentic? Am I going to allow the people around me to see me? I'm going to wait for you because there are a good few of you here. Good job, guys. It takes so much courage to do this. It takes so much courage to, to let yourself actually truly be seen by the people around you. Warts and all. <laughs> doesn't mean we go out blaring from the rooftops. Oh, these are my issues. It just means that we're real. We let people see the journey. We let people see us. So if you're standing near one of these people, we're going to do a couple of things. First of all, we're going to break shame off them. Any way in which they felt less than, any way in which they felt like they don't quite belong. Um, if there are any others of you that feel like you should have stood up, feel free to just keep standing up. Um, secondly, we're going to just bless them to be everything God made them to be. In fact, we're going to break off a veil that sometimes comes over people um, that causes them to back off, be quiet, stop speaking, be silent, sit in the back row, not be seen, um, and not actually be fully present to the world around them. So if you're around one of these people, stand up. You are ministry team. Congratulations. So break off any shame that's come on them, and then you're just going to start releasing them into being who they are in the world around them. Father, we break shame off these people. <laughs> we thank you that they were 
curated by you. They're an incredible, each one of them is an incredible creation who the world needs to see and see fully alive. So Father, we, we declare over them that shame will no longer speak to them. Shame will no longer cover them. Father, we speak courage into them. The courage to be seen, the courage to be heard, the courage to be real and authentic, the courage to be vulnerable, the courage to be imperfect. And we bless them and we celebrate them just like you do. And those of you who are standing, it would be really good either now or in the next couple of days just to ask Jesus next time you're chatting with him. Just say, Jesus, how do you see me and what do I bring to the world? What is it that I uniquely bring that no one around me does? Okay, good job. The next thing we're going to pray about is people who feel like they're caught in this courtroom over here. That they have a problem with perfectionism. That they have a problem with feeling like they, they're under a set of rules all the time. Maybe you're self-critical. Maybe um, you found yourself to be critical of others sometimes. Maybe you just feel like you're never quite getting it right. Maybe, you're, um, maybe there's an anxiety in you, like that person that spoke to me this week of, like, maybe, maybe Jesus is judging me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe, 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 maybe. If your world is full of shoulds, you are in this courtroom because there are no shoulds in this one. I should have done this. I should be doing that. Ah, I'm not doing enough of this. And if you're comparing yourself with other people and finding yourself to be lacking, you're in this courtroom. I'm not, I'm not pointing to them. This courtroom. <laughs> Just in case. Um, so if you think that you might have got, kind of got caught in, in here somewhere, we want to also bring you over to here somewhere. So I'm going uh, to pray and I'm going to get you to pray after me. Is that okay? All right. So, Father God. We're just sorry that we get hoodwinked by religion on such a regular basis. Because <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> it's religion, pure and simple. <laughs> the enemy made it up for his ends. <laughs> and Father, we're choosing to divorce rules, regulations, perfectionism, condemnation. Jesus, thank you that you died to create a courtroom of grace and love for me, a place where I can belong, a place where I can be fully home, a place where I can love me like you love me. So Jesus, today we're saying no to that old courtroom and we're giving you permission to tap on our shoulder every time we drift back there, because we do. <laughs> we just love our rules. Jesus, every time someone else puts, tries to put their breastplate on me and I feel condemnation or shame. Or every time I forget and try and put my breastplate on someone else and just become a little bit too critical. I'm asking you to tap me on the shoulder, turn me around, shift me sideways, remind me who I am and give me your love for people. And Jesus, finally, we ask that you would make us into a house of prayer for all nations. 
we ask that you'd build us as the living stones into that temple where anyone is welcome, where everyone can find their place of belonging, no matter where they come from, no matter what they've done. (laughs) I'm just going to pray for you. So Father, thank you for who you are and thank you for this incredible life that you call us to that's full of life and vibrancy and hope and, and your love. Father, thank you that there's nothing rigid and boring and judgmental about you. (laughs) That you're a God of such love and such grace. And you call us into this beautiful relationship with you where we're able to represent you to the world around us. And Jesus, we just say, yes, please. Take us on the journey. Give us the courage to be vulnerable. stuff. Well done, guys. This is a journey. It's a daily decision to show up and be seen. And I just encourage you, just over the next week, have a think about it. Take it back to God. Ask him if there's any area where you're struggling to be yourself, where you're struggling to bring who he made you to be to the world around you. And start doing the journey. You're courageous people. And you can totally do it. (laughs) 